Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. We're so glad to have you with us today. Excited about this series. Uh, All I Want for Christmas. We had a great time last week. If you missed the opening of that, you can find that online, on our website, on our YouTube. It's Oaks Church Texas on social media, or I believe also on uh, YouTube. Is it Oaks Church Texas on the YouTube as well? I don't even know. Um, So, but you can find that through our website, oakschurch.com, and uh, get caught up on that one. But today we're gonna jump into part two of this message, and I'm really pumped about it, but I'm also very excited. We have a special gift for you. One of the members of our church, uh, Natasha Owens, has a brand new Christmas album, and she actually, she's on tour today, Christmas tour, uh, but she has uh, donated, given to us a wonderful Christmas album. We listened to it all the way here today. It's really fun, got some great stuff. If you didn't get one last week, you can get one today at the uh, Connect desk or when you walk in the front door and pick one of these up and have some fun with that. But, you know, I... I, um, I love Christmas music. Uh, I love getting in the Christmas spirit. I know that there's a wise uh, sage that declared that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is sing loud for all to hear. That was Buddy Elf, right? Uh, we, we, we need to understand that singing Christmas songs is important. I, and I wonder what your favorite Christmas songs are. My, my favorite is Little Drummer Boy. I just love that song, especially Justin Bieber's version. Some of you might remember. Um, <laughs> But there are certain songs like it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. I mean, when you live in Texas, it doesn't feel like Christmas until you get some of this cold snap weather and all that kind of stuff. My parents in Oklahoma, they're, they're getting snow this morning, so we're a little bit jealous of them. Uh, it's the most wonderful day of the year. That's, those are, these are some of the, my favorite songs. But I was really curious. I was interested to look and see what the most popular Christmas songs are, and one of them that topped the list was one of my favorites as well. It's the, it's the Jackson 5 uh, version, right, of, of um, what, what's, what, what's it called? I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus, right? I did, I did, and I'm going to tell my dad, right? I mean, a little, little mini Michael Jackson, but, but I was surprised that the number two most popular Christmas songs is one of the worst Christmas songs of all time. It's called Last Christmas. By Wham, 1984. It's the worst Christmas song ever. It's rated number two. You don't think so? Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. Very first day, you gave it away. This year, to save me from tears, I'll give it to someone special. Just keep giving it away. Just give my heart away to all these people that throw it in the gut. It's a horrible song. I'm, I'm glad you like it. I do like some Wham songs from back in the 80s. But the number one Christmas song, and I could get with this one, right? The number one Christmas song of all time is Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You. Is anybody, that's their favorite? Remember the video, All I Want for Christmas is You? And and it goes, I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own, more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas. Is you right, and that's a good one. And she literally has been now named the queen of Christmas. Did you know that Mariah Carey is the queen of Christmas? Mrs. Claus needs to know about this. I don't think. I don't think. Uh, what's Mrs. Claus? What's Santa's wife's first name? Does anybody know? 
We know Chris Kringle, Santa's wife, that's her name. That's all we know. That's all we know. But that song was in my head because I was thinking and praying about, because again, this is, we're not celebrating Christmas for us. We're celebrating Christmas for Jesus. It's his birthday that we celebrate. We're celebrating the gift of God, Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's why we celebrate at Christmas. And my thought was, what does God want for Christmas? What is this, this, this time of year, what's his focus? What does he really want for Christmas? And that song popped in my head that all God wants for Christmas is you. He wants you. He wants your attention. He wants your worship. He wants your love. He wants your affection. He wants your presence. See, we have this misconception that our religious journey is about us trying to get close to God. And, and technically, that is the textbook definition of religion. Man's attempts to draw close to God. But what we have in our Christian faith is the exact opposite. We have in Jesus Christ, God's attempt to draw close to man. God so loved the worth that he came here and was born of a virgin and grew up and lived as a human being. God wanted to know you and relate to you so much that he became a human. God went through puberty. You didn't think about that, did you? Jesus had to deal with pimples, hormones, voice changes. He went through, I know that doesn't sound like much, but did you know that scientifically, I want you to, you need to have a little grace for your teenagers. Did you know that going through puberty, there are more hormones in your body than when a woman goes through menopause? Now you might have a little compassion. Teenagers are going through some heck, man. They're not crazy just because they're crazy. They're going through a, a little season. They're going through something. God came. He loved you so much. He became one of us so that he could relate to us, so that we could relate to him. He wants a connection. All he wants is you. It says in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Aren't you glad that God is slow in that way? Now, there are times that we're like, all right, big guy, right about now. Anybody, God just doesn't quite fit into your timetable? But he's got a perfect timetable, and he's slow to wrath, thank God. And he's patient, and he's not slow as we understand slow, because God exists outside of time. God has the ability, he sees your life like, like, like it's the reels of a movie, individual images, individual captures, and he has the ability outside of life to move from front to back, to step in, to intervene, because he exists outside of time. He exists in the everlasting. And he knows exactly what you're going through right now. And guess what? That's why he's not nervous. That's why he's not worried. When you go through a hard time, when you fall off the wagon, when you find yourself in a bad spot, when you find yourself underwater at the bottom again, and you feel like you've blown it all, you feel like you've ruined everything, you feel like you've done too much, and there's no way, and God's sitting there looking at you going, I, I see the next slide. <laughs> 
I see two, I see two pages over. I see you back on top again. God sees your end from the beginning. In fact, he created you from the, from the end, went all the way back to the beginning and created you to fulfill the perfect picture of the end. He's not nervous when you go through tough times. He's not nervous when you have temptation. He's paid the price for it all. See, God worked a master plan since the beginning of creation. Since, since the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve messed up and fell into sin, God initiated a master plan over 6,000 years ago, a master plan to orchestrate, and he declared it in the garden to Eve that her seed, the seed of the woman, without any help from a man, women have eggs, not seed, but he declared that there would be a divine birth, a woman who did not need a man because God himself would be born, and that her child would crush the head of the enemy. He put a master plan in place. And he's not slow, he's perfect. And he's walked this thing out. And he's patient for you. And he's patient for your kids. And he's patient for your spouse. Oh, somebody have some patience for your spouse. They're going through it, they're married to you. You're not easy. You think you're easy? Come on, we're humans. We're humans, we all got our stuff. We all got our junk. We all got our peculiarities. And it's important that we recognize that we need to be the most gracious, grace-giving people we possibly could be. Why? Because we have been given the gift of grace. Freely you have received, freely give. God declared 700 years before Jesus would be born that a virgin would give birth, that a child would be given, that his government, God's government would be upon his shoulders, he would be a divine child, and Jesus was born, and we celebrate that at Christmas. I want to read to you Luke chapter 2, verse 4. This is part of the Christmas story. It says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David. David was from Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem means house of bread, a place of sustenance, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of, of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those who, who, on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. 
and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And, they had, uh, and when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. This is a beautiful story. And there's so much in this. There's so much symbolism in this. Uh, earlier this year, it's hard to think this year has been so psycho. It's early, it, 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 it's, it's hard to think that early in the year we were in Israel, we were the last tour group to make it out of Israel before they shut the country down. And we got home and countries were shutting down with COVID and all that kind of stuff, but we had spent 10 beautiful days in the Holy Land experiencing uh, God in an amazing way and seeing the sights and we will plan another trip in the future and I encourage you to to save for that to prepare for that and to plan I believe personally that every believer should go to Israel in their lifetime it's not a mandate it's not a requirement to get into heaven but it sure makes your faith come alive it makes your faith absolutely come alive to see the things that we've read about see we went to Bethlehem and Bethlehem now is a modern city. It actually has a massive wall around it because Bethlehem is owned or occupied by the Palestinians. And so Jews are not allowed to go into this wall, big 30-foot wall, massive concrete, barbed wire, people standing outside on both sides with, with machine guns. Jews cannot go in and Palestinians cannot come out. They are working on uh, creating some new peace there to allow people to come in and out, and specifically Christians. In fact, we were at a restaurant, and there was we were being waited on by a Palestinian young lady who was a Christian, and, and she, because she was a Christian, was able to come in and out because it was a Christian-owned restaurant that she was a part of, and so they're opening the doors for uh, people that have a peaceful faith uh, that is, is focused on uniting with the nation of Israel, but an interesting experience to say the least. But we were there in Bethlehem and we were able to go to the place where they believe that Jesus was born. There are a couple historical sites, but one of them was really interesting. It was actually a cave underground that they believed this was the manger that, where Jesus was born. And, and it was just a hill, but the hill had this outcropping and you could literally walk right into this uh, underground cave. And so this specific story is incredible because when you look at some of the history of this, they're actually actually was historically an inn that was created and built inside of Jerusalem. The inn uh, was built by King David. There was a time where David ran for his life and he was running for his life from Absalom. His son was trying to kill him and take his throne. And he went to Bethlehem and there was a, a gentleman named Barzillai, Barzillai who, who actually took him and treated him well. And so David created and built an inn inside of Bethlehem called Shemham. It meant a place for strangers because he wanted, to honor, uh, the, he wanted to honor someone taking him in as a stranger. So when Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, they were expecting to go and be a part of uh, an occupant at the inn. But it was too crowded because it was the holidays. And when they got there, and this is what's interesting, both Mary and Joseph were actual descendants of King David. One of them was born, David was born to Solomon, and Mary was born to Nathan, and they were six generations down. They were sixth cousins. Sixth, so they had a relation, but it was way spread apart. And they were both, so Jesus was of the line of King David, this royal line on both sides. 
And so when you see the story, there's family showing up to the inn that their own ancestor had built, but it was full of strangers. And it made me think, how often do we give so much of our attention to strangers and have no room for family? Happens in business, we give our best energy away. Have no, have no energy left over for our own family. Guys, we've gotta do better taking care of the ones that we love. It's funny to me to see that some people can treat others so well and treat their own loved ones so poorly. It's important that we recognize that the most important people we have in our life are those close friends and family and the family of God. So you'll never know, you'll never know what the family of God is like until you go through a tragedy and you realize that sometimes it's the family of God that can be even closer than your natural family at times. God can do a miraculous work. So they show up and they go to the inn and there's no room. So they go and stay in this place where the animals are kept. And it's believed that it would be out just a little bit. In fact, the Bible says it was just north of the city. And we went to a place, a cave just north of the city where it's where the animals would be kept. And in the old days, there was called the Tower of Eder, which means the Tower of the Flock. And it was the place where the shepherds would all come together and they would, they would herd their sheep into this underground cropping. And when we were there this last, earlier this year, you could literally imagine the whole place kind of having a gate across the front of it and all the animals in there. And the animals are keeping you and each other warm. We saw the, the shepherds, the nomads out there in the fields uh, around Bethlehem, tending sheep. They, they literally live with the flock, like the scripture says. But they were so moved by God, they came in and they tended their sheep. They had no idea that potentially the place that they would tend their sheep was where an animal manger would be, and that's where the baby would be laying. They met the Messiah. This is a beautiful story. And there's a couple specific things because that I want to hit inside of the story because the angel declared to them the word of God. And last week we learned that no word from God ever fails. Say that with me. No word from God ever fails. The word he has declared over your life, your family, your future, your church, your spouse, your finance, no word from God ever Fails. That's why the word of God is so important to us as believers. That's why we build our lives on the word and not on the opinion of the news. We build our life on the word. All things will end. The word will remain. God's word never fails. They said a savior has been born. That word savior is the word soter. It comes from the word sozo, which is the word for salvation. It means a deliverer, a savior, soter. There's a savior that was born. Is there anything you need saved from? Anything you need to be delivered from? Come on, there are times in our life where we need God to deliver us out of a season, out of a situation, and a savior was born. Watch this, he says, he is the Messiah. In Hebrew, it's Mashiach, means the anointed one. But they used, in this passage, it was translated in the Greek word Christos, which means anointed. Do you know what that word anointed means? Anointed literally means to be smeared with oil. 
When the priest would anoint you, you would be smeared with oil. When, when, the, when the Nathan, the prophet, came and anointed David to be king, he literally opened a horn of oil and poured it all over David. When the priest was anointed, they were anointed and it ran all down. It wasn't like when we anoint the sweet little babies and we put a dot on them because we don't want to make them cry in the middle of service. They literally went, bloop, 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 and covered them with oil. Talk about a bad hair day. Ladies, you're having to go back to the salon. That stuff ain't coming out right? It's on you. It's on on your clothes, on your everything. You are anointed. You're smeared with oil. And the oil had a medicinal purpose. It had specific ingredients. And I'm going to get into this in just a second. But the smell of the oil was so powerful, so fragrant that it literally, it went before you. Have you, I, I, I don't know how it is when you work out or run or whatever, but when, when I go running or something and I'm out there for a number of miles, I can only imagine that I don't smell very good. But have you ever been out on a trail or whatever and you're running towards somebody and maybe it's a lady that's coming towards you in the wind and she's like 10 or 12 feet away and you can already smell her perfume? You ever notice, ever, ever, and you're like, that? I hope that Someone can't smell me coming when I'm out there. Maybe I need to do a little better and I need to to perfume up before I go run or something. But what I'm saying is that the anointing of God, when it's on you, people can tell. People can tell it goes before you. Before they ever get close enough, they can smell something on you. They can smell the anointing of the Most High God. You've been smeared with his presence and it shows. Can I tell you when you've not been in his presence, it also shows? There's times that my wife says, baby, you need to go pray. She's right. She can tell. Because we can get in the flesh. Anybody ever here ever get in the flesh? Yeah, a couple of us. Anybody ever heard never get in the flesh? Just never, just so holy, never. Just one right there. I could tell. The Christos, the anointed one. The third word he said is he is the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament in Hebrew, it's the word Yehovah. But in the New Testament, he used the word Krios or, or, or Kyrios, Kyrios. And that word Kyrios fits into the empirical era that they lived in. It literally means the supreme ruler. Oh, what a powerful statement made over this baby that was the savior of the world, the anointed one of God, the Messiah, the Christos, and the Kyrios, the supreme ruler. That's what was born. That's the gift that was given to us. But the first description of Jesus, and interestingly enough, his name. Did you know his name wasn't Jesus? His name was Yeshua. Yeshua. Jesus' name didn't have a J in it, until the Spanish got saved. All y'all Spanish folk changed his name. Put a J in there, because in Spanish, the J's silent. But us English folk messed it all up, changed his whole name, started calling him something different. Jesus. (laughs) Yeshua. Yesu. It means the Lord saves. His very name was his destiny. His very name was his identity. The Lord saves. The supreme ruler saves. Jesus is God's gift of salvation. Have you ever been given 
someone giving you a gift and it was a project? I bought you this new wardrobe from Ikea. Oh, I hate getting stuff from Ikea. It's like giving me a present that's a job. It's like work. My God, pay the 50 bucks and have them put it together. Don't give me more work to do. I had a neighbor that wanted to give me, he wanted me to buy some firewood from him and he brought this firewood over and, and, and he had a price and price was fair. But he had a lot of this firewood. It was like, I'm talking, it was whole logs. It was, you know, it was a cut tree. I mean, so whole, I mean, and I'm like, dude, I don't want those parts. I said, sell me the parts that are cut that I can use, the two foot sections. I said, I'm not buying a job. I don't need more wood to cut. I got wood laying all around here. I want cut wood I can use right now. Did you know when God gave you the gift of salvation, he gave you a process? He gave you work. I'm gonna walk this, we're gonna, we're gonna today we're gonna understand our salvation at a higher level. The Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You gotta work out your own salvation. It's a DYI project. Now the beautiful thing is, He's done the work for you, but there's a road that you must walk and there are things that you must walk out. See, the word sozo for salvation is an unbelievably powerful word. What does salvation entail? That's our big question that we're gonna tackle today. What does it entail? This tiny four-letter word in Greek, sozo, it's so small, but it's so big. See, that word sozo, it means to be saved, healed, and delivered. It has three main components. That when you receive the salvation of Jesus, you receive salvation for your spirit. You are a spiritual being. You will live for eternity somewhere. You get to choose where. By putting your faith in Jesus, you choose where you spend eternity. Your spirit has been saved. You also receive healing for your physical body. He saved your body too. See, some of us are living with things that Jesus Christ paid for. And it's our job to work out our salvation, to believe. See, whether I get healed or don't get healed isn't based on my power. It's based on his power. But that power has been released unto us. Now, does that mean that everyone gets healed every single time? No. Sometimes God knows something that we don't know and people go through stuff that we don't understand. But it's our job to believe. It's our job to fight the good fight of faith and to believe. See, I happened to have a daughter that had a, a terminal brain cancer and there was nothing anyone could do about it except God. It was 100% fatal from the onset. But my job wasn't to do anything but to fight for her. That was my job. That was my walk. I had to work out my salvation. And in the end of it, she went to heaven. And I'm jealous of her because that's where I want to be. And I'll see her again. But in the midst of that, I learned more from my 18-month-old daughter than she ever learned from me because I worked out my salvation. See, our job is not to understand. Our job is to fight. Our job is to believe. Our job is to stand. Our job is to walk by faith, not by sight. And sometimes we see the miracle and we rejoice. And sometimes we'll see the miracle on the other side of life 
because I will see her again, and I'll rejoice. It's going to be an amazing homecoming. But I want you to understand, we've got to be people of faith. Sozo means saved, healed, and delivered. But, but, but it's, it's so much bigger. What is the deliverance for? Your soul? Your, did you know your soul, the actual word soul, it, it, it's about your, your mentality, your mind. It's, it's the spirit, soul, and physical body. You're a three-part being. And your soul is the place, it's the seat of your emotions, your humanity, your feelings, how you think through things. Jesus didn't just die to get you into heaven. He died to get heaven into you. He died to bring salvation into your, into your soul, salvation into your emotions, salvation into your feelings, salvation. You don't, it's not his will for you to fight and to, and to live and to endure depression and anxiety and oppression your whole life. He paid the price to deliver you from that. Does that mean it's not gonna be part of your story? That maybe you have to have certain practices and certain declarations and certain words of, of the Lord that you stand on and you fight and you declare? Maybe you don't wake up out of bed like Tigger every single morning, bouncy, trouncy, bouncy, trouncy, fun, 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 fun. Maybe you wake up like Eeyore every morning and you realize that you got a tack holding your tail on. No wonder Eeyore's so upset. My gosh. Different people have different struggles, different fights. You got a different road, a different cross to bear. But every one of us, we've got to stand up, deny ourselves daily, pick up our cross, and follow him. That's how we become our disciples. And it's not okay, watch this, both extremes. It's not okay for you to be bouncy, trouncy, and you don't give a crud about somebody else's battle they're dealing with because you're over here bouncing all over yourself. And at the same time, you can't, it's not okay for you to stay down in Eeyore mode and you're so self-focused about what you don't have and what you're missing in your life that you can't come over here and be a part of someone else's celebration. Both sides have to come together. All of us have to make adjustments. Sozo is not only three-phased as far as in your human experience, spirit, soul, and body, saved, healed, delivered. It's also three tenses. Now, this is where it gets real good. It's past, present, and future. When you were saved from your sins, it's your past sins, thank God, they're forgiven. It's your present sins, it's the sin you sinned when they were cutting you off when you were driving. It's the sin you sinned when you looked at someone and coveted what they had, said, must be nice. It's the sin you sinned when you saw that homeless person and you turned your nose up and said, they could work. Oh, guys, we sin every day. Some of them on purpose, some of them by habit, instinct, whatever. He, he paid for our past, our present, and what's even more wild is our future sins. Jesus paid the price 2,000 years ago for the sins you haven't even got to yet, Phil. Noah, haven't even got to him yet. He's like, I got you. 2034, New Year's Eve, I got you. You don't even know about that party yet. That's how complete his salvation is. But watch, watch. He healed you too. Past, present, 
Come on, you don't think Jesus' healing was for COVID before COVID was ever existed? Wherever, no one ever knew it was? He's got supernatural healing power for your physical body, past, present, and future. He's got deliverance power for your soul. It's every tense you could possibly think of. For the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness for your spirit, peace for your soul, joy for your physical body. Oh, this is good. See, guys, it's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. It's a good, I was so blown away. I was sitting there with the Lord this week on Friday. I had a little fire on our back porch, and that's where I love to sit and pray and, and worship the Lord. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm just in the presence of God, and I'm, pr I'm praying, I'm journaling. And I was just overwhelmed by the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Guys, he's just so good. When everything is hitting the fan, he's so good. When all hell is breaking loose, he's so good. In the middle of election season, he's so good. In the middle of pandemic, he's so good. It's his goodness. You can't earn your salvation, you can't buy it. He gave it to you, it's a free gift. You have to receive it. The scripture says that the kingdom of heaven Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is in you. Don't look here, don't look there. The kingdom is in you. That word means, kingdom means the realm of the authority of the king. The realm of the dominion of the king. His dominion is inside of you, David. It's inside of you. And when the kingdom suffers violence, it's about the enemy attacking the dominion, uh, the domain of the king inside of you. When the kingdom suffers violence, it's about the enemy's vicious onslaught against you, Stan, because the kingdom is inside of you. And then it says, Jesus said, but the violent shall take it by force. See, there are things, guys, I'm about to say something. There are things that Jesus paid the price for you to have and walk in that if you don't get violent to possess it, you never will. Because the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's not just about taking your whole life. It's about tricking you out of the best of Jesus Christ and your natural everyday life. Jesus didn't just die to get you to heaven. He died to get heaven into you so you could release heaven into the earth. He wants you to be the conduit, the gate of heaven in the earth. And there are things that God wants to release into your marriage. Salvation in your marriage, salvation for your children, salvation for your family, for your, for your relatives, salvation for your coworker. He wants to release things. But if you're not careful, you'll get so focused on non-essential stuff that you miss, that you miss the opportunity to release salvation. We can get so wrapped up arguing about stupid stuff like masks. Oh, they're stupid. They're stupid. Stupid, 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 stupid. And we sit there and argue. Eh, do they work? They don't work. They be, oh, well, every city, the cities with the highest whatever, they all wear masks. And oh, they, oh it's the people that didn't wear masks. That go, blah, 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 blah. Gosh, shut up. <laughs> people are going to hell. Some of them sooner. <laughs> Come on, guys. We got to quit fighting over stupid stuff. And recognize that maybe it's an opportunity for heaven to flow through us. 
for sozo to flow through us into a situation, into a circumstance. What was it about the shepherds? Why did God pick shepherds? See, this is how you need to, when, when the Bible says faith like a child, you wanna know how I get my messages? I, I, I act like I'm five. Ask my wife, <laughs> I'm just joking. I, when I read my Bible, I act like I'm five. Why, 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 why God, why? Why this, why that? The, oh, the plagues, why frogs, God? Why not salamanders, why frogs? What's up with the frogs? What, I mean, gnats. Gnats, sorry. I mean, what, I mean what, why? Why are these details? Everything in his word has a purpose. It's a detail. It has a specific reason. Why shepherds? Shepherds in the current culture over there, the shepherds are nomads. They're the lowest of the lowest of the low still. They were then. David was a shepherd. He was despised. He was seen as repulsive. When the, when the Israelites went to Egypt and lived in Egypt, they didn't live right in Egypt proper. They lived over in the land of Goshen. Why? Because Egyptians thought that shepherds were the most disgusting, lowest class there was on the planet. Low class. But yet God picked low class to release royalty into. David was a shepherd. The most famous shepherd in all of Israel's history David, who became a king, and it was his lineage, the lineage of a shepherd king, that the Messiah would be born. Jesus was called the good shepherd. He spoke about Israel as his flock that's gone astray, and he wished that they would hear his voice and follow. He said that my sheep know my voice, they won't follow a stranger. Jesus was a good shepherd. So we see the picture of shepherds, the lowliest of low, becoming the first evangelist. Oh, that's such a beautiful story. The lowest of the low, the most despised, becoming the first and the most highly esteemed evangelist to go out and spread the word of a shepherd that was born for the nation of Israel and the whole world to the lineage of the shepherd king, the greatest shepherd, the greatest shepherd of all of Israel, David. And we see in this passage, I'm gonna read one more passage to you, possibly one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It's so beautiful. Psalms 23, one says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I'll let that sink in. Say that with me, will you say that with me? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Say that again. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Oh, we can get so caught up, guys, in what we don't have. So caught up at Christmas. All I want for Christmas. Oh, I really need this. The Lord is your shepherd. You lack nothing. That needs to be your phrase. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Everything I have is from God. And there's nothing that I lack. There's nothing that I need. He already knows what I need. That's what Jesus said. Before you ever ask, he already knows. He knows what you need. He's your shepherd. That passage, the Lord is my shepherd, in Hebrew, it's the phrase Yehovah Ra'ah. 
Yehovah Ra'ah, the Lord is my shepherd. Now we learned in the Greek that word Lord is supreme ruler. I love this. The supreme ruler is my shepherd. Everything I need, I have access to because of my relationship with the supreme ruler. Do you think, do you think Bill Gates' kids have any lack you know what they do have lack of? Apple products. <laughs> oh, poor kids. Poor, poor, poor kids. No Apple products in that house. They lack nothing. Why? Dad's Bill Gates. What college do you want to go to? Done. What do you want to drive? Okay. Oh, you want that job? Sure. I, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm sure he makes them earn and whatever and all that kind of stuff. But, but, a, but, a, but a good father makes a call, makes an introduction, makes a way. Scripture says that he makes our path straight before us, our good shepherd, our father. Would you look at this passage? This is the most beautiful passage, and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up. I've got one more question, and I'll wrap up. It says, the Lord is my shepherd I lack nothing. Watch, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Oh, do you remember being a kid and being out, the sky was blue, and you're laying in the soft grass, just looking at the clouds going by? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. See, this faith like a child thing, so important that we approach God with innocence in our heart. We approach God with childlike innocence and expectation. See, when Blakely asks me for something, if I say maybe, she knows what that means. <laughs> if I say no, absolutely not, she goes, hmm. If I say maybe, she goes, hmm. <laughs> There's nothing you lack. He makes you lie down besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Does anybody need their soul refreshed today? Maybe you've been carrying some stuff. Maybe you've been dealing with emotions. You've been dealing with weight. You've been dealing with people leaving you. You've been dealing with people turning their back on you. You've been dealing with, with the deals not going through the way you wanted to, not being treated right by your employer, a situation with your spouse. Does anybody need their soul restored today? He restores and refreshes your soul next to the quiet waters and the green pasture. He guides me along the right paths. Why? For his namesake. Oh, guys, this is, this, is, this is huge. See, the right paths, that's his righteousness. He leads you to righteousness. Why? For his namesake. For his reputation. It's based on everything God does, he does because of who he is and who you are in relation to him. It's based on his namesake. You access all of heaven through the name of Yeshua, the name of Jesus. Anything you need, there's nothing that you lack. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Watch, even though I walk through the darkest valley. This is, the, this is why this is such a favorite to me. This is the psalm David wrote reflecting on his introduction to the Goliath giant. 
He's walking into a darkest valley, but I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I mentioned a few weeks ago, the shepherd, the good shepherd, the picture is that he has two things in his hands. He has a long staff that we see as the shepherd's crook that he would use to guide and gently discipline. Come on, sometimes God's gonna take his little staff and go crack, crack, snatch you back, right? Use the little hook, pull you up out of something, guide you down the road. But, but the good shepherd has something else in his hand. It's called the rod. And, and it was different than the staff. The staff was for the sheep. The rod was for the wolves. The rod was a club. You can look it up online, a shepherd's rod. It, it's a club about yay long, and the end of it is a big spiky ball. And when it says that David killed a lion and a bear by striking it, it wasn't with his knuckles. He had a rod. And he beat the mess out of a lion. It says he grabbed it by the bear, by the beard in the new, in the uh, in the um, which version is that? The I think it's the NLT version. It says he grabbed it by the beard, New Living Translation, and clubbed it to death. <laughs> what a beautiful! Uh, it should be in a movie. Anyway, <laughs> I love necessary violence. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table for me. It's beautiful. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of when I'm surrounded by those that despise and hate me. You put a feast out in front of me. You're with me. Watch this. You anoint my head with oil. You're a good shepherd. Do you know why the shepherd anointed the sheep? Because the sheep, they had all that thick wool. They would only get sheared once a year. And the wool would get super thick and the little bugs would crawl in and they would get inside of the sheep's ears and they would get inside of the sheep's nose and they would crawl up into the sheep's brain and begin to eat away at the sheep's brain and the sheep would go crazy because of what was going on in their brain. And they couldn't fix it and they couldn't understand it. They didn't know what to do about it. And the sheep would literally begin to ram their heads up against rocks to stop what was going on inside of their brain. Guys, sometimes the enemy has got himself into our brain and he's driving us crazy. He's eating us alive from the inside and we go into self-destructive patterns and behaviors and activities because of what's going on in our brain. But your good shepherd, he anoints your head with oil. And that oil was thick and he would put it inside of the ears and the nostrils of the sheep to keep those bugs and those pests from crawling up inside and affecting the minds of his sheep. Your good shepherd, he anoints your head with oil. Says, my cup overflows, there's nothing I lack. Surely your goodness and love or mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, the reason I love this passage so much is because in this tiny little passage, only six verses in the whole thing, David masterfully depicts the seven most prominent names of God in Jewish tradition. The Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah Ra'ah. He's the supreme ruler of shepherds. Everything you need is provided. Jehovah Sidkenu, the supreme ruler of your righteousness. He's taken care of your righteousness. He leads you along those straight paths. Jehovah Rapha, the supreme ruler of healing. He's going to take care of your health. He's going to watch over you. You have access to that. Jehovah Nisi, 
The Lord is my banner. Banner was, if you imagine an ancient war, they would have the, the standards, the banners that would represent the army. Our, our flag in America is our banner. It's something we should be proud of as Americans. That's a good thing. But God is our supreme banner. He's our symbol of victory is what it is. Jehovah Nisi is he's our identity of victory. Jehovah Jireh, he's our supreme ruler of provision. Anything and everything you need, he is your provider. He's already provided it before you need it. Jehovah Shalom, the supreme ruler of peace. He will release his peace upon you. Jehovah Shammah, the supreme ruler, is present with you. He's near you. He's never far from you. You always have access to him. My final question is this. What do you need today from your good shepherd? What do you need to access? All of it is there. It's all available. It's all within your grasp. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's within your grasp. It's within reach. Everything you need from God is within reach. What do you need from him today? Do you need him just to be there? Do you need him to restore your soul? Do you need him to release peace to you? To anoint your head? Keep the pestilence out of your brain? You need him to heal your physical body? Whatever it is. Would you just, wherever you are, maybe you're at home and you're watching online, you're sitting in your office or your hotel room or whatever. Everywhere across this room, if you have something you need to receive from your good shepherd today, would you just stand with me wherever you find yourself in this moment? If you're driving in a car, you can stay seated. Stand with me. And, and, and I want you to identify right now, what is it that you need? Peace, provision, protection, victory, righteousness, his presence, restoration for your soul, anointing for your head. What is it? Identify it. And then would you just pray this with me? Say, Lord, you're my good shepherd. There's nothing that I lack. Everything I need is already provided. Just right now, just between you and him, just tell him what you need from him. Ask for it in faith. Receive your healing, your peace, your restoration. Wisdom, whatever you need. We're all here in agreement. It says wherever two or, three, two or three agree upon touching anything, he is in the midst of them. And whatever they ask shall be done. That's what Jesus declared. Healing is being released to you. Restoration, deliverance, righteousness, victory. It's being released to you right now. Take it by faith. Claim it by faith. Make it your declaration by faith. It's mine. Say that. It's mine. My good shepherd has provided everything I need. There's nothing I lack. I receive it right now. In Jesus' name. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. I lack nothing. 
I lack nothing. I lack nothing. In Jesus' name. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.